Section 5 of Dul Camera. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. Dul Camera by Howard Saxby. The Atonement. It was Christmas Eve and very late, but still the Reverend Paul Preston paced up and down the floor of his study. He had sent word to his assistant that he was ill and would not be present at the children's Christmas tree or the evening service. On the young rector's table, amid piles of manuscript and theological works, lay a folded sheet of blue writing paper, upon which in his wife's small refined hand were traced the words that had changed the whole current of his life. He remembered that but a week ago she had filled his pipe from the little silver jar upon the mantel, and then she had kissed him, kissed him. Henry had dropped in for a little chat that night, too. Henry, his old college chum, his friend, God forgive him. Now that he came to think of it, they had both acted rather strangely. She had been silent and constrained, Henry unnaturally gay. Six years ago, when the young divinity student had asked her to become his wife, she had said, Paul, you make a mistake. You are a minister. I am a butterfly. Still, he knew she had loved him, and ah, how well he had loved her. Not selfishly and egotistically, but with a passion as deep as life itself. For six years they had lived happily, contentedly, lovingly. And now, without a warning cloud, this startling, stupefying blow had fallen. She had not returned last night, and this morning the letter had come. This morning after they had sailed for Europe, his wife and his lifelong friend. He had eaten nothing all day, and for the first time in his life could find no consolation in communing with his maker. His little son had been put to bed hours ago, and since then he had been pacing up and down his solitary study, brooding over the great sorrow that had come to him so unexpectedly. Paul Preston's career had been one of self-denying godliness. Only a month previous he had refused a call to one of the aristocratic parishes of Terrytown, rather than to give up his little church in the slums, where he felt he was doing a good work. And now, well, he would give up the ministry. Never again would he preach from the dear old pulpit. Never again look down into the trusting faces of those he had pulled from the gutter and the gambling den. And there was her pew on the right, her pew on the right. Oh, what an example to set before those poor ignorant people. Would to God it were possible to keep from them the fate of the woman they had so loved and respected. But it was done now, and it could not be undone. Tomorrow he would send for his mother, tell her all, and give his little boy into her keeping. Poor little fellow, what a blight to put upon his young life. Perhaps in after years he could be made to believe that his mother had died. The clock of the mantel struck once, half-past eleven. The young minister stretched himself out on the soft, comfortable couch and pressed his hands to his head, for it seemed to be bursting, swelling, and bursting. Sleep would not come, and his face was flushed and hot. Perhaps some of his little flock were praying for their rector's recovery now. Alas, they knew not that his ailment was not of the body. 
The light of the lamp was growing dimmer now, and his sorrow-racked brain turned the shadows upon the wall and floor into torturing visions. He saw his young wife screaming and pleading for mercy, and grinning, leering friends were burning her beautiful flesh with hot irons. With a groan, he buried his face in the downy pillow of the couch, vainly striving to escape the visions that came in his disordered fancy. After many minutes had passed, he arose and opened a window to admit the refreshing air. The night was beautiful, and the stars in the heavens shone brightly. The clock on the mantel struck twelve. It was Christmas morning. In the distance, the chimes on the great steeple of Trinity Church were ringing out their song of rejoicing. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. At last, Paul Preston felt that he could pray, and falling on his knees before the table, lifted his hands to heaven, and put his very being into his passionate appeal. O oh God, forgive her sin, have mercy on an erring woman. Let me atone, O oh God, my soul for her, my soul for hers. In the name of thy beloved Son, the anniversary of whose holy birth now dawns, accept my soul for hers. His voice grew choking and dim as he cried again and again, My soul for hers, O oh God. The lamp on the table flickered, sizzled, and went out. And still the chimes on the great steeple of Trinity Church tolled on and on and on. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Two chubby little hands pounded upon the study door, and a little voice cried, Papa, Papa, let me in. I scared Papa up with the door. But there was no answer from within, for the lifeless body of the Reverend Paul Preston lay stretched upon the floor of his study. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. End of section five.